Well, good morning, family. I'm glad you're here. I'm going to need a little bit more response out of you. Today looks like it is um, it's vacation Sunday. I think there's <laughs> a lot of people on vacation, but um, so, you know, give us some energy here, right? All right. Well, we have been, we started last week this study, and uh, it, we're just calling it um, Jesus Is, and fill in the blank, we're looking through the book of John, and we're, well, last week we, we started off seeing that Jesus was, ex, was is, uh, is God, in fact, he's a creator, and he's called the Word of God, because uh, he is the Logos, and he, that represents one thing to the Jews, as we talked about, and another to the Greeks. But what it means is he is the author. He's the, he's the power behind all that we see and know. And, uh, and that he, anything that was created, the Bible says, was created through him. So if it was created, it was created through him. And what we... We, we see in the book of John is this emphasis on the deity of Jesus Christ, that Christ is God, and uh, he's the second person of the triune Godhead. And, and that means a, a lot because how we interact with him, because you'll hear a lot of things about who, what people think Jesus is. You know, the, the world has a concept of what Jesus is, who Jesus is, and, uh, and that concept is not you know, if it's not biblical, if it's not born out of revelation and just born out of human thought, and uh, it, it's always going to be uh, way um, different than what the scripture tells. Because um, we will always limit who Jesus is in human thought. But revelation of scripture tells us a whole lot more about the nature of Jesus Christ. And uh, in the book of Revelation, we get a glimpse of him in his in his um, in his glorified state, and it's awesome. You know, it, it caused John to fall on his face as a dead man, he said. The one who was so close to him, the one who's writing this book uh, that we're reading, uh, the, the Gospel of John. Now, now uh, in this first chapter, we, st- we stopped at verse 18, and we pick it up where... Um, John the Apostle is talking about John the Baptist and, um, and, and how he kind of fits into this picture. When Jesus described of those born of woman, he said, there's none greater than John the Baptist. So he places John the Baptist at a pretty high place in, uh, in, in who he was. And, uh, and yet then he said, but those who are least in the kingdom are greater than John, meaning that there's something that happens to the, 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 those of us who are part of the new covenant that has even transformed us into a greater place than even John the Baptist. But John the Baptist was the greatest uh, up until that time. And of course, the thing that transforms us is the fact that the Holy Spirit then remains in us as it did as he did with, uh, with Jesus. So let's just uh, take a look at this in John chapter 1, verse 19. Now it says, 
Now, this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Who are you? They want to know who he is because he's got this large following of people and they're, they're coming out and they're being baptized. Now, baptism was mostly at that time meant for the Gentiles, any Gentile who is coming into Judaism. And, that, and, and the baptism was a baptism of repentance, which simply means this, to change your mind. Repentance is to just, you're thinking one way and going one way, and you think differently, and you go a different direction. And so for someone to come to God, they had to think differently. They had to repent from wherever they were, the false gods they served and all of that. And now they were going to worship and follow the real true and living God. And so Gentiles were the ones being baptized, but not this time. Now there are Jews coming. And, and John even, in some says, you know, why are you, why are you coming? You know, and th- there would be those who would say, well, we have Abraham. We don't need this. We don't need whatever you're offering. But John was offering a baptism of repentance so that when the Messiah came, they were ready to receive him. He was the, the, the one who would go before actually the king. He was a heralder that would go before and make the, the path straight and make the, the, the path easy and, and, uh, and so that there would be reception to him coming. In some ways, John's ministry parallels ours. That in some ways, what he was doing, now I'm not talking about going around baptizing anybody, but what he was doing in being one that went before so that Christ could be received in some ways is our call as well. Now, they, they're asking, who are you? And they're, they're trying to figure this out. Like, what makes him have all this kind of authority? That, and why are all these people coming? And, and it says John's response was interesting. He confessed and did not deny. Kind of adds that to it. He confessed and did not deny but confess, I am not the Christ. I'm not the Messiah. I know there are people looking for the Messiah. I'm not him. And, then, and, and, then, and they asked him, what then are you? What then are you, Elijah? And, uh, and he said, I'm not. Now, the reason they asked that is because the scripture tells us in Malachi 4, 5, it uh, it prophesies that before the, the end, um, that Elijah will return. Remember, Elijah actually never died. He was, in fact, you know, caught up, kind of, kind of a, a picture of the rapture, if you would. He was caught up to be you know, in, in, with the Lord, and then he shows up on the Mount of Transfiguration. But the scripture says that he will return he will come before and some believe as and and i'm one of them that he's one of the two witnesses found in the book of revelation that would be moses and elisha but um so by the way um one of the reasons john was not elijah because there is no reincarnation 
the real Elisha will return. But he did come in the spirit of Elijah, in the same kind of ministry, same kind of uh, prophetic gifting as Jesus said. He, comes, he came in the spirit of Elijah in this, in this way, but he was not, and he claimed, and he says, I'm not Elisha. And he said, then, then the question is, are you the prophet? Now, he answers no. Now, why would they ask that? Well, because there was a prophet expected to come, and, uh, and actually Jesus is that prophet. Uh, Moses pr- prophesied, and, uh, and the Lord spoke to Moses in uh, Deuteronomy 18, 15, and said, um, and said he was going to raise up a prophet like Moses. Now, in the way that Jesus is like Moses is Moses brought the old covenant, the first covenant. Jesus brought the new covenant, you see. And so there's that similarity. So what John is doing is he is saying, no, I'm not, I'm not those things. I, I, I love the humility of John. And I think it's what makes his ministry so great. Because he knew who he was. I, I would say it this way. It, it, what you say about yourself is important. But in the discovery, and this is it, as, as we're discovering Jesus... As, Mo, as John has discovered Jesus, as we're discovering Jesus, there's a bonus. The bonus is we discover ourselves. The more you discover Jesus, the more you discover who you are. In my generation, early on in my teenage years, uh, there was a big kind of move to find yourself. And people went through all, all kinds of things to find themselves. There were those who, you know, kind of left everything and traveled to, you know, far out places and sat in, in uh, you know, in fields, uh, you know, with their meditation and they're trying to find themselves. I've never saw anybody actually do it. They, they would always, you know, you, they, they would spend their time trying to find themselves and they could never find themselves. Because you do not find yourself by looking to find yourself. You find yourself because God shows you who you are when you find him. And that's the whole point. As you, as you seek after, after, you search after Christ, as you discover him, the more you become aware of your own, who you are. And as John describes it, and he's describing, we'll see how John sees himself. And it's a reality that allows him to take what God is doing in his life and take it to the next level in his life. So they they ask these questions. In verse 22, it says, Then they said to him, Who are you? That, That we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself, you see? And, and that, that is important. In his response, he says, I am the voice. And see, I'm, just, I'm just a messenger. I'm just a voice. I'm the mailman. I, 
I just bring the message. I, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, Isaiah talked about the one that would be crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And John is that person. He, identi- he recognizes who he is and his call and his, his ministry. But, but he, I don't think he's downplaying it. I think it's really how he sees it. And it's unfortunate, but oftentimes when someone gets kind of recognized in, in ministry, sometimes a, a, lot of, a lot of leaders start good. A lot of times they'll start in a humble place. And, and in fact, I, I, I won't name but I, I had a, I knew one, one evangelist that was, boy, in his, in his early days, he was just so right. You know, his, the way he responded, the way he, he, he saw, saw himself and saw the things of God and the humility that was in him. And they became popular, very popular. And, um, and I remember, I remember um, after not seeing him for a while and then seeing him then again, for the first time, I, I saw something completely different. It was a whole different person. He could not handle success. And instead of being just the voice, you know, that he was and how he would think, see himself, now he saw himself as the man, you know, the man of God that God was using. And, 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 and he had an entourage. Where does that all come from? He has this entourage of people taking care of him, you know, um, driving him places, picking him up, making sure he gets his coffee, you know. I mean, bro, can't you drive yourself? I mean, what is all that? And that, that unfortunately, is, um, is a tweaked view of yourself. John kept the proper view of himself. I'm just the voice. That's what I am. I started that way, and... Uh, and he ended that way, you see. And he brought this baptism of preparation, this baptism of repentance. And in verse 24 it says, Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees, and they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you, whom you do not know. And that is the problem. He says, you do not know. Because although what you say about yourself is important, what you say about Jesus is even more important. And that's, that's the ultimate. That's why when Jesus asked the disciples, who do men say that I am, that was important. And they responded. And they had a whole list of things that people said about Jesus. And that's true today. That's true. You, you, you can ask people, what do you think about Jesus? And people say, well, I thought he was a good person. I thought some people think he was a deceiver. Some people think he was, you know, a little, um, that, that, he, it, that things were twisted about him, that he was a, just a man, a good man. Um, but that's not really the important. The, the, the question about who do men say, the question then was asked by Jesus, who do you say that I am? And that's the most important question. And that question, the response to that is that you are the Christ, excuse me, the son of the living God. And John is saying, listen, there's one that you don't even know. You don't know who he is. You don't get it. 
See, even if you have no clue who you are, but you know who Jesus is, you're in good shape. I think we spend too much time trying to find out who we are and not enough time trying to find out who Jesus is. And that's why we're going through this study, because there is so much about Christ. Not, not just his names, but, but the, the, the types and shadows that the scripture shows gives us insight into this amazing, well, you'd say amazing person. We're, we're looking at God and how he relates to us allows us to relate to him. Today we're taking a look at this one element how John reveals Jesus to us, at least partially. And that is, Jesus is the Lamb of God. (laughs) I remember the first time, when I was young, early in my early days in, in, uh, in, in church, you know, coming to the Lord, I would hear songs, you know, about the Lamb of God. And uh, some of the old hymns uh, would bring, we'd listen to them and, and they'd talk about, oh, Lamb of God, you know. And, and I thought, and I had no clue about this. I just thought, wow, they kind of, like, do we worship lambs? Is, are, is this animal worship? You know, what Lamb of God kind of thing? It was a strange idea. And yet, it's one of the ways God reveals who Jesus is, and it has, and and it's it would have been, it would not have been strange to those who were hearing the story, because they lived in a world where they understand the purpose of lambs, and and that connection helped them to easily then make the transfer when Jesus would have died for their sins. We'll talk about that, but. Um, He says this in in verse 27. It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal straps I am not worthy to loose. We made mention of this last week, but that job of of, um, taking off the sandals of, um, of someone who was coming in was the job, it was only the job of a slave. In fact, the, 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 the slave who had the least amount of um, you know, authority, in the, the, the lowest slave in the household would be responsible for taking, when the master came home, taking the shoes off and washing the, his feet. In fact, that was such a, so, such a menial job that it was actually illegal for a, a Roman soldier to demand a Jew to wash their feet, to take the sandals off. To unloose the sandals and wash their feet was actually um, illegal. It was such a menial job. And so what is John saying? He says that, that the most menial job, the most maybe humiliating job that someone would have, I'm not worthy of when it comes to Christ. Now talk about understanding who you are. Because I think all those who really come to a, a, a place of really understanding Jesus and understanding the, the goodness and the grace of God in our life, 
are those who've come to realize who we are and come to that place in our, in our life where we, we recognize that, listen, I'm a nobody. I'm nobody. Now some of you are going, wait a minute, I'm a child of God. Yes, you are. But that, that's a whole, listen, there's, before then, before that, I'm a nobody. I didn't earn anything. I'm not worthy to wash his feet. That's who I really am. Now, you, the, the wonderful thing about the Lord is he takes the individual who has not worthy and he elevates us, you see. But that elevation, it's coming only from him because who I really am without him is not worthy to wash his feet. And so now John is, John is saying, that's who I am. I'm the one not worthy to wash his feet. And, uh, and then he says, and, the, and these things were done in, in Betharbara, beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. And the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, Everybody say this with me, the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. See, everybody who had been listening to him, the, the whole, um, the, the, the Jews who would have been listening, they knew what that was about. They, they were accustomed to, to, to sacrifice, the sacrificial system. In fact, every morning and every evening at the temple, there was a lamb or a goat sacrificed. Blood was shed. There was, there, was a, there was identification as individuals would come at different times to sacrifice because of their sin and they would bring their lamb their, that they had taken in. On Passover, they would take in the lamb for four days and they would care for it. The lamb would live in the house with them. And then they would, they would look to make sure there was no flaws because if there were, they would replace the lamb. And then they would take that lamb and they would put their hand on that lamb and they would, they would take and, and bleed out the lamb. And you go, why, God? Why, why would you do that? Why do we have to do that? You know? And uh, because there was going to be a lamb and they needed to know. They needed to identify you see, when you have that innocent lamb and you sacrifice an innocent lamb, the thing you are identifying is as you put your hand on top of the head of that lamb, that that lamb's death was the result of your sin. Your sin caused the lamb's death. And the blood that was shed was to cover your sins. Cover. Not clean. John is saying now, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's this Lamb. The sacrifice Jesus would, be, would make is once and for all. When we were doing communion last week, I made mention, aren't you glad we're not you know, lining up goats and sheep up here? Once and for all, Jesus died for the sins of the world. And that's where he looked and he said, behold the Lamb of God. Jesus is interesting. And Jesus is, uh, you know, the picture of Jesus is both he's the shepherd and he's the sheep. 
He's both. He's the one who takes care of us, like in Psalms 23, and he's the sheep who died for us, the sacrifice, the innocent one who died for the guilty. And that was the point. And John is, John is right up front telling the people, this is, who's coming? The Messiah? He's the sacrificed one. He's the one from Isaiah 53. And he's the one who, you know, who, who's cut off for the sins of the people. And I want you to identify with that. When we take communion each month and we take that time, and Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. What he wants us to do is he wants us to see him as that sacrificial lamb in that way. He wants us to relate to the fact that the God of the universe, starting off, you know, John here, the God who created all things is the same one who allowed himself to be killed, to be sacrificed, to take on the sins of the world for us. That kind of disparity in who God is and what he's done is something we, I think, we can contemplate and we can spend time praising God for forever. It's, it's interesting, the scripture says that the angels, they, 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 they don't understand, but they look into this salvation. It's like, can you believe that? I, they have kind of a wonder about what God has done for us, and yet I think sometimes we just kind of, we've heard it. Yeah, I, I understand, Jesus died for me. You know, that, that was cool, right? Isn't it cool, Jesus died for us? You know, that kind of, and I'm not, I don't want to put a guilt trip on anything, I just want us to go, do, I need to, when we sing about these things, when we pray, um, we need to come with the wonder that the God of the universe did this for us. He became the lamb. You know, sheep are really, I mean, who he became, what he became is not something that people looked up to was that people looked down to and he did all that and God reveals this way this name or who Jesus is in this way because there's something about the nature of God that we don't get unless we see it this way come through this process you know we understand he humbled himself but listen he became the lamb and, and all these definitions and types that we see of Christ are to help us understand the nature of God. What kind of God does that? The God that is revealed in, in the scriptures, the God who created the universe. That's who does it. That is him. That's his nature. That's who he is. That's the kind of love he has. That, that is... So when you picture him, 
even when you picture him in his wrath and anger and, you know, as you're reading through and there's times where God is extremely frustrated, don't, don't just focus in on one thing. Focus in on the whole picture of the character of God. And God is, Jesus is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We remember the picture of Abraham and Isaac. Abraham takes his son, Isaac. God says, I want you to take your son, your only son, Isaac, and I want you to sacrifice him. Bring him to Mount Moriah and sacrifice him. I've heard critics say, what God would ask a man to sacrifice his son? Kind of in a critical way. God knew he wasn't going to kill his son. But he wanted Abraham to identify with the, what the father would be going through. What would you, what, what, what you, you, know, you know it's God. Of course, by the way, if you hear a voice that says, sacrifice your son or daughter, um, that, that don't, God says not to do that. So you don't have to worry, it's not gonna happen. God does not want you to kill your kid. Though you might at times felt like it, but understand. God, um, what Abraham was going through, God had gone, is, went through. God went through it. In fact, God was anticipating, and he wanted Abraham to understand something. He wanted us to see it. And so Abraham takes his son up to Mount Moriah, the place where Jesus would be sacrificed. In fact, the exact place where Jesus would be sacrificed. And he lays him on the altar, and his son asks him, you know, Lord, Father, we've got the wood, we've got all this stuff, but where's the sacrifice? And that must have broken Abraham's heart. But he said this, out of faith. He said, the Lord will provide himself a sacrifice. In fact, that's how it reads in the English, but it can read, the Lord will provide himself the sacrifice. And that's what he did. And of course, he saw the ram caught in the thicket. God provided. But the provision wouldn't be a lamb caught in the thicket for us. It would be the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. God provided himself the sacrifice. So, John bore witness. He says, he says that this is, this, uh, verse 30, it says, this is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who is preferred before me because he was before me. Now we're going back to the fact that even though John was born before Jesus, Jesus existed throughout eternity. And he says, I did not know him. By the way, he was his cousin. But he says, I didn't know him. I, I knew him in his human, I didn't know who he was. But that he should be revealed to Israel, therefore I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness saying, I saw the spirit descend upon, descending from heaven like a dove and he remained upon him. And that's a key phrase. Because that never happened before. The Holy Spirit didn't come and remain. The Holy Spirit came and then lifted. 
prophets got the Holy Spirit would come upon them and the Holy Spirit would lift. But this time, the Holy Spirit came and remained upon him. He saw it. And, and I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him. This is who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And this is where it comes to play into our lives. The same Holy Spirit that came and, and remained on Jesus because of Jesus comes and remains inside of us. Doesn't lift. The Holy Spirit stays with us. He'll never leave you or forsake you. He's always there to help you and to guide you and to instruct you and to convict you. And the work that God does through our lives is by the Holy Spirit. And it's because of Jesus the Holy Spirit comes into our life. In fact, if you have not the Spirit of God, you're not his. It is the identifying mark of being a Christian as the Holy Spirit is in you. And it's that union that gives you eternal life. It's that union that he that raised Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal body. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. That's why death cannot hold you as it could not hold Jesus. And so he... He says, in, it says in, in verse 34, and I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. And again, the next day, John stood with uh, two, two of his disciples and looked at Jesus as he walked and said, behold, here it is again, the Lamb of God. Oh, Lamb of God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. You want to say that to him? Thank you. Don't you want to breathe some praise and worship and thank you to Jesus? Thank you, Lord. I believe that Jesus is not only revealing himself this morning to us in fresh ways, but I think he's revealing us in fresh ways. Lord, I so need you today. I so want you today. Is there anyone who could replace? No. I'm going to ask the worship team to come and we just take a minute and uh, I just you know, we, we get, we're getting a lot of, like, theology, which we should. The book of John is wonderful in te- telling us theologically who Jesus is. But I don't think that's just the point. I think it's more than that. I, I think the reason is that we could fall in love a little bit more with our Savior. 
I, I think that's the reason. Not, not only that we know him, but that we can love him greater. That our capacity to love God would increase as we're discovering him. And worship is a way of expressing that. You know, every once in a while, a song will break out and I'll sing it to my wife. And, uh, and it's not one song, I have a few. They usually are songs from the 70s. And she'll, she'll, she'll roll her eyes because I sing really bad. And I'll even sing worse when I do it on purpose sometimes. But I'm just, I, I just you know what, I just want to have fun with her. Um, we want to talk to God with our hearts. And whether we're singing it or whether we're voicing it, um, there are times we just need to have, you know, talked about, we've talked about the romantic heart of God. And unfortunately, too many people see God only as kind of this massive brain. But he's not. In fact, the emotions of God are very clear in Scripture. But God has a romantic heart. And we express ourselves in that. We express ourselves to a God who romantically, I'm not talking about, you know, sexual kind of stuff. I'm talking about the heart of God toward our heart. That he, he created you. You're attractive to him. You understand? God created you. You, who you are, is attractive to God. And um, and and I think there's a longing in the heart of God for that. That's why the Bible calls us the bride of Christ. He's trying to relate to us about how He thinks about us. We're the bride of Christ. And uh, and and I think. <laughs> We need to have a romantic heart toward God, too. And he's revealed how to do that. So could we just, you just do that kind of where you are in your heart to God. But let's just sing. And if you want to join in, sing. Or if you just want to talk to him, do that. Let's do that just for a minute. And then we'll dismiss, okay? Who could imagine 
great a mercy What heart could fathom such boundless grace The God of ages stepped down from glory To wear my sin and bear my shame The cross has spoken I am forgiven, the King of kings calls me His own. Beautiful Savior, I'm Yours forever. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Hallelujah, praise the one who set me Hallelujah, death has lost its grip on me, you have broken every chain, there's salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my living hope, oh hallelujah, praise the one who set me free, grip on me you have broken every chain there's salvation in your name jesus christ my living hope oh we give you all the worship lord then came the morning Seal the promise Your buried body Began to breathe Out of the silence The roaring lion Declared the grave Has no claim on me Then came the morning that sealed the promise your buried body began to breathe out of the silence the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me Lord Jesus yours is the Christ. 
church, as we dismiss, just a reminder, if you want prayer this morning, the prayer room's open to our side. You can go in there and get prayed for, okay? God bless you. Then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your buried body began to breathe out of the